Um, I'm really excited about tonight because we have an opportunity in these chapters in 1 Samuel to really think about the character of God and then to think about how does the character of God in the chapters we're going to look at um, square with the experiences that lots of us go through in our life, often which are tough, and to see how the character of God becomes absolutely crucial for the way as Christians we negotiate our way through these struggles. Um, so let's come to God's word now. I'd encourage you to leave that, keep that chapter open. It's quite an ambitious um, subject tonight because we're looking at five chapters. We're going to focus mainly on chapter 18. But the reason I've chosen to look at five chapters is that it actually tells one story, and to keep breaking it up would mean it would be very disjointed. Um, but what we're going to do is, as we look at particularly chapter 18 and some of the later chapters, we'll see three things about the character of God, which I really hope and pray will encourage all of us um, through some of the hardships that we'll face in our life. So should we come to God's word and pray? David writes in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we struggle to believe that. We definitely struggle to experience that. We all go through different challenges in our life. Some are very acute and right now. Others are more chronic and long-lasting. But Lord, thank you for that incredible truth that you know the number of hairs on our head, that you know the depths of our hearts better than we even do ourselves. So thank you as we come to you tonight that you know exactly where we are at. You know how we might be struggling. Or you know the hearts of those that we care for and love who are struggling, who we're seeking to be a blessing to at this time. So I pray as we look at this chapter 18 and into the subsequent chapters that you would show us why you are the good shepherd. And more than just being the good shepherd, would you be our good shepherd? So please encourage us tonight through this great passage and uh, please equip us to have greater confidence in you through all the struggles that we will face in the week ahead. Amen. Since I've got married, I've probably watched more films that are kind of on the kind of rom-com or classic end of the spectrum. Um, maybe that's been good for me to be a bit more cultured. But if I had a choice, I would always watch an action movie. Uh, one of my favourites was on the screen this morning when Wellesley was preaching, um, Braveheart. Um, some of you will have watched Robin Hood. I remember watching all the different Robin Hoods as they've come through the years. And I love the story of the outlaw. The whole idea of robbing from the rich and feeding the poor, I love that. I think that would be a good uh, economic program, perhaps, for the government. Uh, the Bourne trilogy, you'll know some of the Bournes. Jason Bourne, they're brilliant action movies. Um, I love those. Uh, James Bond, I've watched all the Bonds at least three times. Uh, you either love the Bonds or you hate them, but I love them. Um, and then something that's not quite sort of as racy as some of the other ones, but something like this, um, you've got... Um, uh, Abagnale Jr. Um, this is uh, Catch Me If You Can. But the thing I love about these sort of action films is the fact that there's always a sense of uh, suspense, isn't there, in an action film? When the hero is on the run from the bad guy. Uh, and it's always really intriguing to know, is he going to survive? Is she going to survive? What's going to happen? Uh, the film's always ruined by the really predictable romance at the end. But the action itself is really brilliant. Well, that's exactly what's going on in our chapter tonight, uh, particularly chapters 18 through to 22. Uh, we've got our hero of the story, David. Remember, David was anointed by um, uh, Samuel in chapter 16. God had promised that he would be the new king. Then last week, uh, Nathan helped us understand that brilliant chapter 17 where David defeated Goliath. 
And you think this would be a real high point and David would just continue with the success. And he does in many ways, but it's in a very difficult environment because David from chapter 18 onwards is on the run. And it's kind of like these action movies. The, the central figure is running from the bad guy and we're drawn into the story and we're wondering how's it going to work out? When, when David was on the run, it would have been a, a hugely significant time because whilst he was on the run, he would have written or at least thought about many of the Psalms that he later wrote. Uh, David wrote a number of the Psalms. I just want to give us a flavor of some of the things that David spoke in some of the Psalms that are almost certainly influenced or written during this period when David is running away from Saul. I just want you to notice some of these things. One of the things I love about the Psalms, I was talking to someone in this church about the Psalms this week. And we were talking about how we love the Psalms because they're really earthy. They're full of emotion as the writer is responding to God and kind of pouring out their heart. How are they actually feeling? Uh, and we'll see a number of things. Notice how the psalmist here, probably David, is experiencing and crying out to God in pain. Psalm 58 verse 6, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? We're very good at crying out in pain to one another when life is difficult. But are we any good at crying out to God? Because he really wants to hear. And we'll all go through experience in our life where we need to cry out to God. And here's a great example of it. Another one that's a bit more strange. Here's a complaint. This is David in Psalm 142. He says, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. As I was talking to this person this week, we were saying... Sometimes Christians think it's wrong to complain, but actually God wants us to complain frequently. As long as we're complaining to him, he wants this dialogue. He knows our hearts. And when we're burdened and we would naturally want to cry out with a complaint, he wants us to pray to him. And the more you read the Psalms, the more you realize that tons of the Psalms are full of complaints where the psalmist is grappling with God and saying, God, life's not fair. I don't get it. I don't get you but expressing their need. You also get examples of David crying out for comfort in his prayers. Here's Psalm 34. This is a lovely verse to pray for people that you're walking with who are in pain. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Perhaps David wrote that maybe from the back of a cave one night as the water was running down the back of the cave and dripping down his neck and he was feeling really sorry for himself and rightly so but in that moment maybe he was experiencing God being very very close to him and then the last example uh, Psalm 57 second half of verse 1 where David cries out and says I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed certainly David was in the back of a cave one night in the dark And he wrote that psalm, or that phrase in that psalm, in reflection for what he was going through. Um, This week's been quite a strange week for me. I've had more kind of pastoral conversations or pastoral visits than a kind of typical week. But actually in God's providence it's been brilliant, because that's exactly what I've been studying and thinking about in these chapters. All about how does God meet us in our pain? And just through people in this church, or connections with people in this church, um, we've had conversations this week about abuse, uh, about divorce about death, about severe illness, about real trauma and stresses at home or in the workplace. So there's been a lot of really live conversations I've had with different people this week. But I want you to think about your life and the things that you're going through. Um, Either the struggles that are very real to you right now, 
all the struggles that you're walking through with a friend who's struggling. And I I suspect that all of us are somewhere in those two camps, perhaps a bit of both. I have some of the younger folk who are here. Why don't you think tonight about some of the things that are really hard at school? Maybe a lesson that you find, a class that you find really, really difficult, or a teacher that you find really annoying, or a classmate who's really mean to you. But, but whatever your struggle is, what I'd love you to do is take that struggle and look at the three things we're going to see in these chapters. And we're going to focus particularly on God's presence, on God's protection, and on God's provision. I think to get the most out of tonight, what I'd encourage you all to do is go home and read afterwards at 1 Samuel 18 all the way through to 22. And as you read it, just look out for these three things. And they'll repeat themselves time and time and time again. And maybe think, which of these three for you right now is the one that you really need to pray for God to make real to you uh, through the burdens that you're going through? So let's have a look at them together. Firstly, God's presence. Have a look down to chapter 18 and uh, verse 5. The writer says, whatever mission Saul sent David on, he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were running home, returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that was Goliath last week, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lyres. That's kind of type of a harp. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Some kind of song that they're repeating time and time again. And as uh, Jeff was reading it, did you see how Saul was provoked to real deep-rooted jealousy as he heard this song being sung? It says verse 8, doesn't it? Uh, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. <laughs> They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. But you read on, it wasn't just an eye on David, he was actually trying to kill David. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. And so by verse 12, Saul becomes very afraid of David. You get this kind of jealousy within Saul that's driven by fear because he sees someone who's growing in power and influence faster than he is. And he hates it because Saul sees himself as the king, the leader. And yet everyone now is speaking about David. But notice how the writer tells us that the reason that David is being really successful is because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. If you remember back to um, the first sermon in our little series on 1 Samuel, we started in chapter 8. And I said in that first sermon that throughout the book of 1 Samuel, you get what comes as a sort of crossover. You've got Saul who starts off doing really well. He's God's king, but slowly his influence decreases and his popularity fades. And then you get David, who starts off as a kind of nobody, just a shepherd boy in a field. And gradually, David rises forward in prominence and in prestige and influence. So you get this kind of crossover. As Saul decreases, David increases. Well, notice how the story goes on. Verse 13. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had success. But why? Have a look at the end of verse 14. Because the Lord was with him. 
I just want to pause and for us to think about what that means, that the Lord is with us if we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's actually an incredible thing. Uh, It's a major theme all the way through the Bible. You think of Genesis chapter 3 and that lovely metaphor, the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was with his people. You think of... Uh, John chapter 1 verse 14, the word was became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He was present with his people. You think of the incredible gift of God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where God came to be and live amongst his people by his Holy Spirit. The Lord being with us as his people is one of the incredible privileges of being a follower of Jesus. And I wonder if we slow down enough to actually reflect on that and to take in what that means. The God of the universe is with us. If you read any kind of theological book about God, you'll probably see two words, transcendence and imminence. And we spoke a lot about them in the Isaiah series last year. Transcendence means God who is sovereign. He's over his world. He created everything. He's all powerful. Imminence is speaking of God being with his people close when you think about that that's incredible the god who made everything is our god your god my god and david is reflecting on that and he's saying the writer is saying this man david has success because the lord was with him and don't misunderstand that word there success because success there doesn't necessarily mean guaranteed flourishing it doesn't mean the lord is with us so we will always be successful in life we will always have an easy life life will always go well actually so often for the christian and if you reflect on your own experience is not the flip side completely true for you you put your trust in god and life doesn't seem to work and things sometimes can go wrong But where the writer here speaks of David and success, it's not necessarily speaking of just flourishing in life, life being easy. It's more talking about David becoming the person that God wanted him to be. So that great verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. uh, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But good isn't necessarily ease of life. It's not necessarily material success. You read on to verse 29, it says that that good is all about becoming more like Christ. So here, through all the experiences David goes through, when he's on the run, hiding in caves, running away from Saul, as we're going to see later on, he is experiencing in a very profound way the presence of God with him. And I want us just to reflect on that. If you're a Christian believer, God is with you. And he's with you Through all the ups and downs of life, he's with you through your illness. He's with you through that broken relationship. He's with you through abuse. He's with you through pain and suffering. He's with you in the classroom when it gets difficult. God is with us. And that's what David was experiencing in this difficult time. God's presence everywhere. God is with us everywhere we go. But notice too... God's protection. Have a look at chapter 18, verse 17. Uh, Saul says to David, Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles for the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him, 
Let the Philistine do that. Do you see his deceit? He's not going to be the one who deals with David, but he thinks, ah, maybe if I can make something happen in the circumstances of David's life, maybe then I can trip him up and I'll get rid of him. But David doesn't fancy Merab. There's another girl who takes a fancy to David. Verse 20, she's called Michal, another of Saul's daughters, and she was in love with David. And when they told Saul about this, he was also pleased. He said, okay, the girl I wanted for David, David doesn't like her. But what about this other one? Because the same trick can be played. So it says, verse 21, I will give her to him so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. I don't know what Saul's thinking at this moment. Maybe he's thinking, well, these two lovers would stay up late into the night and Saul would be tired and he'd go into battle and his guard would be dropped and maybe he'd be killed. Well, that would be convenient, wouldn't it? Maybe he's thinking, oh, there's this blossoming romance. They'll stay up late into the night talking to each other, writing their poems together. And David won't be with his soldiers, motivating them for war. Whatever it is that Saul's thinking about, he wants to trick David And he thinks that maybe a woman will be the right way to lure him away from his priorities. But Saul's plan is really explicit in verse 25. Saul's plan, it says, was for David to fall by the hands of the Philistines. So here's a man who's very jealous. And what he's trying to do is remove David because he doesn't like how David's rising to prominence. But the incredible thing you see in this story, God has a very different plan because David continued to be successful. Have a look at verse 27. It's a rather bizarre verse. David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. It's bizarre, isn't it? You think, I go to war and I conquer my enemies. I might bring back a flag. I might bring back a great sword. I might even bring the head of the enemy. Why would I want to bring back their foreskins? It's bizarre. I was so puzzled by this this week, I kind of Googled it to see if it was some funny, maybe a bit of a dangerous Google, but there we go. Was it some sort of um, funny kind of ritual? Apparently in Madagascar, if you have a son, when he reaches age five, the privilege of the grandfather is to eat said bit. That's a little crazy sort of um, anecdote of what would happen. But actually, that's not what's going on here at all. We think it's rather bizarre. Why does he bring back a bag of foreskins? And what in the world does he do with them? I mean, does he make a soup? Does he make a necklace? It's weird. But actually, there's far more going on. If you were looking carefully, back in chapter 17, when Goliath was taunting David, twice, David called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. And Wellesley, this morning, as he was talking about it, we maybe call this, looking back, Circumcision Sunday, because it's been a bit of a theme. When Wellesley was helping us understand circumcision, it was an act in the Old Testament, an outward act, that was symbolizing who belonged to the people of God. So God's people were circumcised. Pagan people who didn't trust in God weren't. So it wasn't David just going out and he had some weird or kind of queer fetish that he would bring back foreskins when he defeated the enemy. The point is, when he brought these back, he was saying, look what's happened. God's enemies, these uncircumcised pagans, the people who don't belong to God's people, We've brought back something to prove that God's enemies have been destroyed. So actually, though it's very bizarre to us, it's very significant that this is what David would do. And so what's the result of this? Verse 29, Saul uh, became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. That's the great crossover happening again. 
Saul increasingly decreasing in power, David increasing in power. And all Saul wants to do for the rest of David's life is destroy him. So David really is Robin Hood. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's desperately alone. And most of the rest of his life, while Saul's alive, he's experiencing this. We'll come to chapter 19. Because Saul tells his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. So at this point, the kind of pressure ranks up. It's not just Saul trying to kill David. Now Saul's bringing in all his people and saying, you've all got to join me. We're all going to take him down. Well, verses 1 to 4, Jonathan seeks to protect David. And he starts talking to Saul. And he says to Saul, was it not the Lord who is winning these great victories? Uh, It's the Lord's strength that is meaning that David is being successful. So why are you trying to kill David? It's actually God that you've got a problem with, Saul. Well, like all nasty pieces of work, Saul promises to back off, but he's very deceitful, so we know it's not going to last long. And it says, verse 9, An evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. It's a kind of picture of a man who's always ready, always waiting. When's David next going to come? When do I get my moment where I can kill him? Well, it says David was playing the liar. Saul tries to pin him, verse 10, to the wall with his spear, but it fails. And then in verse 11, Saul sends men to David's house to watch him and kill him in the morning. But again, he escapes. And then Saul sends men to capture him. So we get this picture of this building energy as more and more and more people are on David, trying to catch him. And so David is running for his life at this point, and it will have got... Completely desperate. And David is at his wit's end. Beginning of chapter 20. David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan. And here he's kind of expressing a real deep sense of pain and not guessing what's going on. Look what he says. Jonathan, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? And all the way through chapter 20, you get this long dialogue as Jonathan is seeking to protect and look after David. But by the end of chapter 20, verse 33, Saul's not just trying to kill David. He's also turning on his own son, Jonathan, and he hurls a spear to try and kill him. And it's at this point that that Jonathan really becomes clear that his father's trying to kill David. Now, there's a lot in there. And as you read through it, you'll come back and you'll see. But the pressure is rising more and more on David. But what we see through this passage time and time and time again is God's incredible protection for David. Just at the moment when you think Saul is going to take him down, he escapes. Or the spear misses or something happens and David is allowed to be free. Now just reflect on this for your own life. Because... God's protection is always, not necessarily physical protection. You you hear of some of the horrific stories of faithful Christians in places like Syria who die because they're caught up in war. God is with them and yet they don't seem to be physically protected because they die. There's plenty of people who've been martyred for their faith. But sometimes God chooses to physically protect. But the protection specifically here is protection against God's plan for this individual's life. David is protected. Why? Because back in chapter 16, what had God said? This man is my anointed king. 
And because God was watching over David, it didn't matter what Saul or anyone else threw at David, God was always going to protect him. So I want to encourage you with the one thing that you might be going through in your life or experiencing. God wants to encourage you tonight that he will always protect you. Your life may not always be easy. Indeed, it may not always be physical protection. But he'll always protect the plan that he has for your life. And however rubbish life gets, however difficult get, uh, life gets for you, God's plan for your life is never ever been broken because God is sovereign he is that transcendent God who is in complete control well final encouragement not only is God's presence everywhere with his people not only is his protection with us always but we also see the incredible provision of God now here's a map of David as he's running around trying to evade Saul just want to give you this to give you a sense that this isn't David in the kind of palace garden of Saul, ducking behind a few trees and shrubs, hiding from Saul. He's kind of running big distances. This is kind of 60 square miles. How exhausting would that be over mountainous terrain? But he's running and he's running and he's running. And he's hiding in caves. But you see the incredible provision of God all the way through. Now come with me to chapter 21. David finds the priests in verse 3 and he says to them give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find David's desperate he's hungry there may have been days and nights where he's gone without food and without water so he arrives with these priests and says just give me what you've got I'm desperate for some food we'll notice in chapter 21 the incredible ways in which God provides for him in verse 6 he's given food it's very easy, isn't it, in life to overlook the simple ways in which God provides for us. He provides for us when life is not difficult, and that's still his blessing. But he provides for us in often very simple ways when life is desperately difficult. You think of that lovely part in the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us today our daily bread. I was reading one writer who was talking about that recently. and He said, we don't want that, do we? We pray it, but we don't want it. I don't want God to give me my daily bread. I want bread for tomorrow and the week, and the month. I want to know that everything in the future is, is certain, is, is safe. But that prayer, give me today my daily bread, is, is an expression of saying, today I want to depend on you, God. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, just today. Will you sustain me through my ill health? Today, will you help me in this troubled relationship? Uh, today, will you help me at school when I'm really struggling? But he's given food, and it's a very simple blessing, but it's exactly what he needs. Notice 2, verse 9, he's given a sword for protection. And whose sword is it? Goliath. Now you read the commentators, they all have different suggestions of the significance of this sword. Here's my take on it, having read some of them. David didn't kill Goliath with a sword. Yes, he chopped off his head with a sword. David killed Goliath with a stone. And in many ways, this was reminding David that it was actually David, it was God's victory. It wasn't David and his strength wielding a great sword that killed Goliath. It was just a tiny pebble. It was God's victory, and, and Nathan helped us see that very clearly last week. So perhaps here, where God, as part of his provision, gives David a sword, and it's specifically Goliath's sword, maybe every time David looks at this sword, it will remind him of that battle back in chapter 17. 
that he did not destroy Goliath in his own strength, wielding a great sword. It was God's battle. Notice too how the provision is through means. Here it's the priests who provide for David and the people who are with him. Think of your own life where maybe in this church family you've been going through something that's been really hard and there's been that text message or that note that's been pushed through your door or the flowers or the hot meal that's just arrived on your doorstep or a friend who's not even spoken to you but just put an arm around you when you're broken. God provides sometimes in very direct ways but more often than not he'll provide through means and it will often be the people within his church family who he uses to be a blessing to you in your moment of pain. And that's something just to celebrate. Perhaps you could go home tonight and just think about the person who's been a real blessing to you. Maybe you could tell them. Because they are God's means to be a blessing to you. So we've seen that he provides in basic ways food. He's provided protection, the sword, a reminder that it's God's power. We've seen the provision is through means. And notice finally, it's a sustained provision because you get into chapter 21, verse 10. It says again, David fled from Saul. And then you get into chapter 22 and guess what happens? David escapes. All the way through these chapters, the writer is saying, here is a man who's on the run. He's escaping, he's fleeing. But God is providing for him every step of the way. Well, just in the last few moments, let me just try and pull some of this together. Come to chapter 22 and verse 20. Because after these priests have provided for David, Saul gets very angry with the priests and he actually seeks to kill many of them. So chapter 22, verse 20 says, One son of Ahimelech, son of Habitab, named Abithar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. So David says to him, verse 23, stay with me, do not be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Isn't that quite extraordinary things for David to say? He's on the run. Life is desperate. And yet he has the audacity to say to this other man who's on the run, join me, you'll be safe with me. How in the world, with all that David's experiencing, could he say those words with real meaning? You'll be safe with me. Would you remember back to chapter 17 in the story of David and Goliath when everyone was laughing at David, saying, how in the world will you defeat this great giant? And what did he say in chapter 17, verse 37? The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David has complete and utter confidence in the most desperate situations that he will be safe. Not because he's arrogant or presumptuous, but because God has time and time and time again provided for him. All the way through 18 to 22, and you'll see this when you read it again over this week, you get this repeated phrase, the Lord was with David. He knew it. And that is why he was able to say to this other priest, stay with me and you will be safe. Not because my situation will get any easier, but because God is great. So you think of this story of David and God shows up time and time and time again in protecting and providing for David. Come to an example in the New Testament. 
Paul. How many times did God provide and protect for Paul? As one example, he's in prison and he writes to the church in Philippi and he says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How in the world can Paul say that when he's in prison and his life is desperately difficult? It's because whilst he's in prison, he's experiencing the exact same thing that David has experienced. The presence of God with him. The protection of God over him. The provision of God for him. Prince Caspian, one of the stories in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Um, Lucy encounters Aslan, who's the Christ-like figure in the story. It's a bit later on, uh, the second time she meets Aslan. Uh, And she remarks, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan says to her, that's because you're a little older, Lucy. Lucy says, isn't it because you are? And Aslan says, I'm not any bigger, Lucy. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And isn't that exactly what happens? As our faith matures, as we go through the highs and the many, many lows of life, all the difficult experiences, and we experience the protection of God and the provision of God and the presence of God, our faith will be matured through those difficulties. Our characters will deepen, and God will get bigger and bigger to us. Can we see that in that lovely little slide that Nathan showed last week? Little Saul, little Israel... Versus giant Goliath. Fear. But when God gets bigger to us, then giant Goliath gets smaller and smaller. Little Goliath plus a very big God equals victory. So my prayer for you and my prayer for myself this week is that we would ask God through all of the difficulties that we go through in our life, what are you doing in me? How are you growing me? And most importantly, how are you teaching me through this to have a bigger view of you? And as we were reflecting this morning about the freedom that we have as followers of Jesus, is it not at the cross of Christ that these three Ps we've thought of tonight are perfectly fulfilled for us? Because when Jesus died on the cross, that was ultimately what enables us to be in the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, that is what ultimately protects us. Because we're protected through death to life everlasting. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, was that not the perfect provision for you and me? Our desperate need of a saviour. That same God who walked with David through all those experiences is the same God who walked with Paul through all his experiences. And is the same God who will walk with you and with me through all of our experiences. I think that is a God worth serving. So let me close with those words of Paul again, but I'll apply them to us in this church tonight. And my God will meet all your needs at Long Crendon Baptist Church according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. the band are going to come up and lead us what I'd love us to do I'd love you just to turn to the person next to you Um, hopefully you know the person next to you you feel comfortable to do that 
if you feel able, I'd love you to just say to the person next to you, for whatever it is that you're experiencing in your own life, or what you're going through as you're seeking to support somebody else in their life, which of those three Ps do you want to pray that God would make most real to you this week? Is it God's presence? Is it God's protection? Is it God's provision? Just share that with someone. You don't need to give the backstory if it's a very private thing. But pray for the person next to you and pray for that P for them, that you'd be able to really encourage them. And after a few moments of praying, the band will lead us in our final song. Should we just gather together in twos and threes?